Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Welcome, everyone, to The Bright Side with Technicia, and I am your host, Technicia. Today is March the 9th, 2017. Can we say it again? March the 9th, 2017. Almost the end of this week. Woo! Going through it so quickly, or we not? Happy Thursday, everyone. Happy Thursday. Glad to have you on. Glad, glad to be here. Glad to see another day. How's everyone's day going so far? I hope blessed. My day is going pretty good. Under weather, but I'm going to make it. Got the sniffles. My neck hurts. I'm, I put a hole in my mouth just now. I got my water. I'm going to get some orange juice later, some hot tea. But I'm going to make it. You know me. I don't... Disappoint my listeners, I'm going to bring my show to you no matter what. Cook by crook, snow, no matter what. But I'm glad that you're here because with me is another wonderful guest. <coughs> Excuse me. Our next guest, Vishnu Swami, the Maverick Monk, they call him, began his journey to passionate enlightenment and radical self-development at the tender age of 11 when he moved to a monastery in India. His unique monk training not only included Eastern philosophy, spiritual rituals, yoga, and meditation, but also holistic martial and healing arts such as shiatsu, acupuncture, and jujitsu. He then traveled the world under the direct mentorship of his most beloved guru, who was the greatest bhakti yoga master of our time. Vishnu Swami, the Maverick Monk, was made the world's youngest Swami, at the age of 23, he was taught in over 20 countries and 80 cities and spoken to crowds as large as 15,000 in four different languages. He has been featured alongside Pope Francis in museums and exhibitions um, worldwide, and he shared the stage with legendary teacher Kevin Harrington, the original shark from Shark Tank, <laughs> and the entire cast of the movie The Secret. So exciting. He has also been featured in media internationally and in a multi-award winning Hollywood documentary. Though holding a Ph.D. in Dharma, his quest for truth, love, purpose, and success continues to sweeten as he helps others find <coughs> excuse me, the same spirit of surrender which led him from his childhood monastery in the jungles of Bengal, in Bengal the most likely place to get eaten by a tiger. Don't want to go there to the forefront of the modern world. He is the author of the new book, Eternal Dharma, and he is here to teach us to integrate our practical and spiritual life so that we can exponentially more effective in what we do and attain the illustrious bliss of passionate enlightenment. So welcome to my show, Vishnu Swami, the, the Maverick Monk. I'm getting my words twisted up. Swami, I am hey. so glad. Well, Vishnu, if I may call you, I'm so glad to yeah. have you on, man. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I look I forward to a very to... fun show. Yes. 
<laughs> I was trying not to get my words twisted by me being under the weather, but I was. <laughs> but I'm glad to have you on. I'm so ready to get started with this. Um, I talked a lot about this, so it's great to have someone who actually have a whole a book um, focusing on Dharma. First of all, let's Vishnu for the ones who probably don't understand what is Dharma actually. Dharma is an ancient Sanskrit word, and what it means is purpose. It means core function, inherent ability. It's like your true essential self is dharma. So kind of if you look at water, for example, water has a dharma. The nature of water is to be wet, is to be fluid, is to adapt to the shape of its container. And in the same uh, way, when you put it in a fridge, that dharma will change. It will become ice. And so the dharma is lost in a sense. So we also have a dharma. Our body has a dharma. Our mind has a dharma. Our computer has a dharma. Everything has a dharma. has a reason why it would exist. It's what it was made for, what it's made to do, what it's meant to be, what its duty is, what its function, what its purpose is. That's dharma. Okay. That's an interesting concept to think about. Everyone has dharma. Um, now, you were called the Maverick Monk. Where did that name come from? Well, a lot of people, when they go on the spiritual path, Path. They just want to disappear and go to some Himalayan cave and meditate and go home, and and they're very right. disconnected from reality. And they say the the world is bad, money's bad, sex is bad, relationships, stay away from cars or whatever, right? But I say that real spirituality is not about dropping off of the face of the earth, but it's about dropping back to earth. The question is, how do we integrate our practical lives and our spiritual lives? How do we have them together so that we can make more money, so that we can have better relationships by using thousands of years of spiritual wisdom? And at the same time, how do we make our job, our family, our normal practical lives become a process to help us grow spiritually? Because separating them just really doesn't work very well. Right. And I do... I, I get you on that. Um, so, going back to Dharma, how can knowing Dharma and what's in your book actually help me or anyone else now? Okay, so Dharma is, a, like we said, was a core principle of everything in life. Everything in reality is based on, on, on Dharma. Everything has a purpose. Everything ha- has a reason. So, if we're acting outside of purpose, if we're if we're not living our truest purpose like everyone wants to love everyone wants to connect and if we're not loving properly if we're not connecting properly if we're not living our duty on this planet if we're not contributing to the world if we're not uh, contributing to ourselves and growing spiritually and growing physically and practically and evolving in in our to our most beautiful state then what's happening? We're going on a downward spiral. We're losing our, our essential nature. We're losing our, our power, our, our beauty. So it's, it's essential for everyone to follow Dharma. And everyone kind of knows it, but when you have a deeper insight, when you actually have tools to be able to know your dar- Dharma with crystal clear clarity and, and learn how to use that in every action, in every moment, then like the pain of the world begins to diminish, begins to go away, and you begin to feel happy and peaceful, more powerful, and make more money and all of that. Okay, but how how do I know my life's true purpose? Because everyone here has a mission. We're, we're here for some reason. When the Lord made us, we all down here. But how do we find our true purpose? Do we go through yoga? Do we... I mean, they're away in India. 
How do we find that true purpose to really cope with ourselves? Well, one thing that I like in your question is inherent in your question is that we all have an individual purpose. Some people think that purpose or spiritual growth is, is like it's the same for everyone. Everyone's got the same thing, and that's just boring because then everyone's, everyone's vanilla, right? Then everyone becomes bland, and that's no co. Right. Cool, but what we <laughs> so inherent is, is you're saying that everybody's beautiful, everybody's individual, and everyone has a unique, individualized, personal purpose. And I agree. I couldn't agree more. My book, Eternal Dharma, on maverickmonk.com, you can, um, you can get it. it. It goes into that there's actually two types of dharma. There's a temporary dharma, and there's an eternal dharma. And an, a temporary dharma is, is a dharma that never existed before. It exists now. Like, let's say you're a mother, and you have a, you have a child. You have a duty. It's your purpose as a mother. It's your dharma. It's your duty. It's your God-given uh, how do you say, task to take care of your children. That's what it means to be a mother. But before you had those children, you never had that duty. That was not your purpose. That was not your function. So that dharma is a temporary right. dharma that comes for a specific period of time. And after when, and it has a beginning and may have an end. So what's understood from this, these thousand years of wisdom is that our body by nature is also temporary. <laughs> We have every seven years, every cell of the body changes, and our mind changes. Since when we were child, since when we were children, we're always going through evolution. And the, like in my book, it's called Eternal Dharma because eternal, we no one wants to die. Everyone's always trying to see how can I live longer, what medicine can I take, what exercise can I do. No one wants to die. Everyone kind of turns a blind eye to death because. Because it's our core nature, it's part of our eternal dharma to live forever. To we, we are eternal beings, but we take on this body as a temporary, kind of like if you're going for a ride in a car, you get in the car for some time, and then you get off, and then you take another car. So like we wear, like the, the ancient wisdom tells us that like if you put on clothes, then when you, you switch them, when the clothes get old. So in the same way, what we understand is that there is a soul, a consciousness, a supreme part of us which exists beyond the body. So therefore, from that we see that the body has one dharma, which is a temporary dharma, which means someone might be a doctor, someone might be a lawyer, someone might be a taxi driver, someone might, someone like you said, like we said, be a mother or a, a, a child. And we have several of these dharmas based on our temporary state in life, based on this body. But then there is an eternal dharma. And that's a dharma that exists beyond this body. It doesn't matter whether you had a kid, whether you didn't have a kid, whether you went to school. It has nothing to do with that. That's actually the more important one. And that dharma is a passionate, loving connection with the divine. That is a search for enlightenment, a search for happiness. Everyone wants happiness. Everyone wants to connect and love. Everyone wants, we, we kind of have this hole inside we want to fill and we want to be happy and peaceful. But then we come into this world and there's all this suffering, we get stuck in traffic jams, we lose our jobs, we, we go through all this pain and we go through all this suffering. And how do we get, get over all this suffering and, and be truly happy all the time, which is what everybody wants. Right. No one wants to be miserable. You know, no one wants to be sad. So eternal dharma is extracting that essential happiness, which is our true nature, which is us. Right. If you want to be miserable, then that's a whole other subject. But I don't think truly even the ones <laughs> who are miserable wants to actually be miserable. That is a, you know, that's a bold-faced lie right there. No one, I agree with you, no one wants to feel that every day. Um, now, your your book talks about spiritual evolution. 
What exactly is that? So spiritual evolution, the idea is that we are spiritual beings that are here for a journey. We go through the pain. We go through the suffering. We go through the breakups. We go through the, the hard stuff. And we go through the fun stuff and good stuff. But it also has a purpose. And that purpose is for us to grow and so that we can find our true selves. We can know our core inner nature and connect with the divine in, in passionate love. So if we believe that God creates everything and is in charge of everything. And I'm not talking any specific religion here. I think all of the religions are good and have their place. And in the end of the book, we talk about how to reconcile apparently contradictory ideas and religions when really they're not. They're all saying the same thing, just in a different language. And, um, mm-hmm. of course, there's different flavors, just like, just like we're all individual and have our own sweetness and our own personal style. So each religion also has its own, own special approach to the divine, which makes it beautiful, right. which makes it sweet. But um, so what we understand from 5,000 years of wisdom is that we're here on a journey. And like they say, everything happens for a reason. There's, there's, no, there's no chances. Everything is to help us grow, is to help us learn, is to help us understand and eventually attain full enlightenment. So I say we're all, we're all already naturally on a spiritual journey, whether we understand it consciously or not. But what, where we have power is we can choose to speed in that journey. We can choose to make it go faster and to make it go smoother and more beautiful and better. And you get more happiness that way. And make more money, too. <laughs> no, that's right. That money always, that's the good side. Now, in the introduction, I mentioned your guru. Is this who empowered you to actually become who you are to this day, I, to start writing a book? I owe everything to my guru. I met him when I was 13 years old. I traveled with him. I personally served him. I got guidance from him. He, Srila Bhaktivedanta Narayanmarch, he's no longer with us present. He made me the world's youngest Swami, and I learned everything from him. I, I, being with him for a decade or two, a long time, yes, everything I dedicate to my guru. The book is dedicated to him. Wow. Yeah, now that's, that's true passion. I, I love it. You Now, you also say that this wisdom can make you rich. How? Yeah. Well, see, a lot of people, they, they separate the practical life from their spiritual life. They're like, okay, I'm going to do my spiritual stuff once a week or when I meditate or when I go to church or when I do my spiritual thing, whatever it is. Everyone's got their own thing, you know. Um, but then I got my practical life. Then we we're talking business. Business is business, right? And that's separate from, from my spiritual life. And I say, why? It doesn't need to be that way. It's inherently not. We're one person. You're the same person when you're doing business and when you're doing spiritual life. Why, why to separate them? And really in the book, what I, I have a, a unique system, the elemental reality system, that shows the actual practical integration of the practical and the spiritual. You see, in the world, there's things that are physical that you can like, touch and see and, and measure, like, like that earth, water, fire, like physical things. But there's also things which are subtle, and those are things that you can't really stick in a jar. They're not tangible, physical, but they exist. For example, ideas, right? Ideas, they can exist in words, but words are just a code to communicate something. So how do you trap an idea in a bottle? It, it, it doesn't really work like that. It, it's, a, it's a much more subtle thing. Also, emotions, feelings, that's something that, that 
how do you say, is not a physical thing, but it makes physical reality happen. Like if you're angry, your body gets hot, you can sweat, your, your veins can pop out, you make different sound vibrations. If you're sad, tears come out, come out of your eyes. So the subtle things, the things that we can't touch, those things that we can't see, the intangible, what some people call non-matter, those things, they actually affect the physical. Like emotions will make, a, make affect our physical body. Idea, someone has an idea for building a building, then they'll go and build it. So the building came, the physical building came from the subtle idea which existed in their mind. Like the Taj Mahal, for example. I lived near the Taj Mahal for a long time in India, 18 years in India. And um, the Taj Mahal was, he had the emotion that his wife left and then he wanted to build a bit beautiful bi- building in her memory. So the physical building of her memory was a result of this subtle emotion, the subtle feeling, the subtle desire. So in the book, we go deep into what is subtle, what is physical, and how do we use the subtle to create the physical. Now when we're talking about the spiritual, the spiritual is the most subtle. It's even more subtle than emotions, more subtle than than thoughts and ideas and feelings. But because it's more subtle, it's a little bit harder to see, harder to perceive. A lot of people don't really get it, but it's the most powerful and it affects physical reality much more strong than, than just doing things physically. So what I say is that if you learn to meditate, like a lot of the greatest people, the most powerful minds on our planet now meditate regularly. You know, if you meditate, if you do spiritual practices, if you learn how to access the power of the divine or what I call the spiritual domain in Eternal Dharma, my book, maverickmonk.com, um, if you if you access, how do you say, that spiritual power, then your physical reality can change. And that's why yoga works. Everyone knows that yoga is good for the body. Everyone knows that now. They didn't know that 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, but 5,000 years, it's, uh, yoga is a subtle practice. It's actually a spiritual practice. And because of aligning the spiritual side, it affects the physical body. So basically what I'm saying is if you have the spiritual stuff in order, then your practical material stuff like making money, having good relationships, being healthy, can all fall in order much, much faster and much, much easier. Wow. That really had me that really actually had me thinking that I need to reevaluate some things, like totally. Um I guess I want to bring up a little about self awareness. Um with self awareness we're becoming active participants in our evolution. So what used to be the evolution of consciousness has now become conscious evolution. Do you think this implies a new responsibility that we have in the process? A new responsibility? The more knowledge you have, the more responsibility you have. That's, that's just the nature. You know, if the, the more not, like if a child does something, they're less aware, they have less knowledge, it's not as bad. But if someone who's an adult does it, then it's, it's worse. If a dog does it, less consciousness, less awareness, not so bad. So yes, the more consciousness you have, the more responsibility we have. And therefore, because as human beings, we have this incredible brain, we have this incredible intellect, we can understand all kinds of smart stuff, which animals can't. Um, we have a responsibility for using that brain to inquire about the absolute, acquire, why are we here in this world? Who am I really if I'm not this body that changes all the time? Who am I if this mind always changes, right? What is my true self? What is my true dharma? What is my purpose here on earth? It's our duty. And as we have more knowledge on in, in, about that, we have more duty to execute on it. Yes. So I agree. 
Well, my guest and I were talking about that previously. Uh, I think that was Tuesday. Yes, we were talking about that Tuesday of uh, how we don't actually know who we are. We're we're titled with maybe I'm a father, a brother, a son, but who are we truly? That takes a lot to really just break down and dissect yourself to really find out who are you really. Because everything that we do are titles. You're a teacher. I'm a waitress. I, I could be a firefighter, but those are titles. Those are professions. That's not who you really are. And that takes a lot of time to just dissect and really break it down to actually find your true self. I, I think that takes work. I, I wanted to try it myself to really know who I am. What was my true purpose of being here? I completely agree, and that's why in Eternal Dharma, it's not just a book of some theory and some ideas from ancient wisdom. It's actually a training program. In the first chapter, I give an uh, exercise to help extract and understand your dharma. And throughout the thing, I did give different meditations, different exercises, like workbook, pro, um, how do you say, things to do to help understand that. Because that's really the game of life is get deeper self-awareness, deeply understanding ourselves, and then acting from that core place. So, yeah, that's, I mean, if you don't know who you are, what do you know? It's just the truth. And you would think it's an easy question to answer who you are, but not an easy question. Right. Lifetime journey, you know? And it's not, if you, if you would ask me right now, I don't think I could even answer that myself. We have just been so programmed to, oh, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. You know, we we all are universal, but that takes a deeper thought to actually know who you are and who's your purpose. I definitely, I, if, if anyone is with me on this, I say we all need to grab that Turner Dahmer book and get to working because that is a good question. What are we on this earth for? What is our true purpose? Yeah. That's that's that, that's something deep, Vishnu. You really got me thinking now. Um, yeah. now you say you can get you the have. book at any Barnes & Nobles or, or Amazon or go to maverickmonk.com. Just for any listeners are like, yeah, I gotta get that. So that's where you get it. I know. I de- I definitely make sure that's on my bookshelf, most definitely. Now you say what you have is unique. How so? So you see, a lot of people. I mean, what I'm teaching is from five thousand years of wisdom. So a lot of people are like, well, if it's five thousand years old, then everyone's got to, you know, I mean, it's it's got. To, I mean, why should I listen to you from you? Okay, maybe you know it a little bit better. But I lived in India since I was 11 years old in a monastery. We had mud huts. We had, there was an elephant. And the elephant one time actually pulled my robes off. It was, it was hilarious. But um, so that, that's a story for another time. So, but in my staying there, I spent about eight years extracting a certain aspect of the 5,000-year-old wisdom of yoga and meditation and spiritual things. And I have a completely unique approach, which has never been presented like this before. It's the whole middle section of the book. The beginning of the book and the end of the book, that's more standard wisdom, which most people don't know, and it's very simplified and translated and made accessible with exercises. But the middle section of the book, I speak about the elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, Mind, intelligence, false ego, identity, which is uh, ego is identity. You were speaking about that. I'm a mother. I'm a this. I'm a that. And I go into detail and explain how these things affect each other. How does the subtle affect the physical? How does the physical affect the subtle? How does – and with a deep, in-depth understanding of that, then we have access to a unique power because everything's only made of these eight things. So anyway, I could talk about it for a while, but in essence, how it's unique is that system that I created – 
from the elements based on 5,000 years of wisdom, the same wisdom that was used to win wars, the same wisdom that's been used to, to man, manage huge kingdoms and empires and everything. We've got a unique approach and a unique style in presenting that, which is an eternal dharma. Okay. Now, what, what was the whole take? What truly inspired you to write the eternal dharma, to just put it out there for all of us? Well, I was, I was, like I said, I lived in India, and I used to teach around India. I taught more in Bengali and Hindi. I speak those two languages, even though I'm Westerner. But um, I, I, I talk, spoke a lot like that. I see, you know, 15,000 people a lot in India. Then I started touring around the West, and I went, you know, traveling around the world, doing these world tours, and I'd have people come. And one time I was in a yoga studio. I think it was in, it was somewhere in the Midwest. I was in this yoga studio, and they'd advertise this program. They put posters everywhere that said, the power of mantra of sound vibration, like everyone knows mantras, like a, a sound, a, a word that you say. And mantras are supposed to have like this m- almost magical power, this mystical power. They're supposed to be able to affect your body and affect your mind. And I had to explain to the people, how does saying a specific phrase or word or doing a meditation actually affect our body? How does it actually affect our mind for real, not just philosophically, not just theoretically? Like how can we actually make sense of it? And so I was sitting there in front of the thing. I had like probably about 60, 70 people looking at me. And then just the idea of this elemental reality system of the subtle elements and the physical elements, which was there already inside. It kind of just came out. And and I started speaking about it. And it was amazing. I was like, this is amazing. Then I spent eight years researching and studying this thing. And I was like, this is so good. Because I've been through a lot of pain in myself. I've been through a lot of, a, a lot of trouble, um, even after being in a monastery. <laughs> Right, and I was like, "How do I get out of this?" So I studied, I studied a lot of personal growth, self-help, Seven Habits, uh, Millionaire Mind. I studied like all, all all these things, and it was kind of working, was kind of helping. I did affirmations, I did Law of Attraction, and it kind of helped. It didn't work, but then when I used this system that I had discovered in that yoga studio, then all of a sudden my life twisted around, and I'm like, "I can't be so selfish. I can't just keep this for me. I need to share this with the world in a book." So then I did, and Eckhart Tolle, his book agent, was like, yes, we need to do this, and we got the book, and now it's out. Now you get to benefit from it. I know that was a bit all over the place. There were several inspirations, but yeah. No, I'm glad that you gave us, I'm glad you was able to give us a little background of it, because I truly love to know where people's ideas come from. You know, it's not easy just sitting down trying to write something to see if people are going to glorify it, if they're going to this it or or not, you know, writing a book takes a lot, and especially when you're trying to give a new concept, some people be like, oh, I don't know whether I want to hear that or not. So I can, I can find the difficulties in that matter. But with mm. this being said, I'm hoping that a lot of people can accept this because this is every day around us, even if it is a terminology, Dharma. It's something that we, like you said, we have all around us and we don't even know it. It's not something that you talk about. My mother didn't talk about it. I'm sure she didn't know nothing about Dharma. You know, it was not a word that was in the vocabulary, but hopefully today people will know it and acknowledge it. And like I said, this book will be on everyone's shelf. What, um, Vishnu, what's one quick tip you could give us now? So one quick tip is that sound vibration is super powerful. Right now we're doing a radio show, so you guys know this. Through sound vibration, it's powerful. So sound is both subtle and physical. 
So sound, like if you touch your voice box and you speak, like I'm doing right now, I don't know if it's changing the sound, but if you do that, you can feel that physical vibration. So it's actually physical vibration. Your eardrums vibrate physically. But at the same time, it's so subtle that it penetrates through wood. It penetrates through bodies. And it, it exists inside of everything. Like if you slap, if you clap, if you click, right, sound comes out. Sound comes out of everything. So sound is extremely powerful. I, I have a whole chapter on it in the book. And so if you do meditation, mantra meditation, which I also give a specific mantra meditations in the book. And also if you go there, there's a website where you can get access to having some videos from me training and teaching you how to do these meditations better. But basically mantra meditation affects our physical body because sound affects physical physicality and it affects our mind. It affects our emotion and it affects us spiritually. So even though there's not really, how do you say, there's no shortcuts to enlightenment, but if there was a shortcut, it would be mantra and mantra meditation. So specifically what you do is there's one mantra that I highly recommend. It's Gopal. Not all sound vibrations created equal. Some, some, equal. some people say just pick any word. And it's like, nah, you're missing the point. Like some words are more powerful than others. So there's one word which is Gopal. And if you breathe in and breathe out and go Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. Gopal, Gopal, Gopal. And if you do that for five minutes, if you do that for three minutes in the morning when you wake up or before you go to bed or when, when, when things are getting hectic, you're like, I don't know what to do. Sit down, do, go, do a couple Gopals, and it'll kind of bring your body and your mind into balance and harmony and begin to open up a new dimension of spiritual evolution for you. Well, so obviously, it seems that this... Why? It, it seems to me that this mantra... Um, chanting can actually even help with someone like me. Like if you have thickness or that imbalance, it could be released yeah. by having that energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I could talk about it for a while, but yes, there's some there's some people. This <laughs> gets into the realm of a little bit woo woo. And when you understand the science behind it, you understand that it's just subtle. It's not necessarily woo-woo. But there's some even health systems that are based very much on just vibration itself, sound vibration. So, yes. Actually, should I tell you, should I tell you a story that I've never shared on air on radio before? A quick one? Yes. Do we have time? A quick one. I, I do when I was in, Okay. When I was in the jungles of Bengal and India we had first aid class. Like, what happens if something happens? And there were cobras there, right? Big, you know, king cobras that will kill you, like, by biting you. And they said, what do you do if you get bitten by a cobra? So we were like, okay, we had, like, if someone breaks their arm, then we'll take them to the hospital like this, which is a few miles away, a few hours away, actually, because we're in these villages, right? And they said, if someone gets bitten by a cobra, then we're going to take them to this villager's house, who they'll chant a mantra and take the poison, cobra poison, out with the mantra. And I was like, is this for real? Like, you serious about this? And they're like, yeah, that's what you do. These people, they come in generations from, uh, for, for thousands of years and generations, and the parents teach their children. They have special secret mantras, sound vibrations that they chant, and they use that to extract poison. I'm like, you serious? And then one of my friends got bitten by, by a python. I think it was a python. I, I'm not, I don't remember what, but it was definitely a poisonous snake. And he went to the tantric, and the, they, they put like a little string around his toe, and they chanted, chanted the mantras, and then the poison went into his big toe, and it became black, full of the poison. And they poked it with two oh. needles, and the poison, the poison shot out, and he didn't die. 
and this is this is like a friend. I can give you his email address. I probably won't do it on the radio. I'll get spammed. But um, this is like my friend, and it actually worked. So I grew up seeing mantras when they're practiced, perfected. It's like it's not just the sound vibration by itself. It's when you practice it, you become better at doing it. And they gain more power. That's why we do the mantras repetitively again and again, and you get superpowers. So at first, when you do Gopal, 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 you'll get some benefit. But if you do it for a few years, or if you do it for a longer time, then that mantra gets more power and affects you better. It's it's got greater potency. So these people, they've perfected the snake-removing mantra poise, which I don't even know that mantra. And, And I know people that have had it removed. So mantra, for a lot of people, it seems like a mystical kind of woo idea. Okay, I'll help your health or we'll do this. And it seems kind of sentimental or just like mental speculation. But I've seen them work. And I use them regularly for myself. So, yeah. So you said, okay, can it help with your sickness? Yes, of course. You chant Gopal, 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 sick. If at least, if it just relaxes you, then your body can naturally heal. You know, at minimum. Well, before we so, go- yeah. Well, before we go on a commercial break, I want to ask this. Is mantra chanting and sound healing like maybe the next frontier in science playing a significant role in healing, removing the need for allopathic treatment maybe? Okay. Are we going to talk about that after the break or now? Well, we can. When we come back, we can end up talking about that after the break. My listeners, I don't want you to to go anywhere, darling. you got to stay tuned for this. We're with Vishnu Swami, and we're talking about eternal dharma. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I liked kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Tomorrow? <laughs> Let's check with Mom. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Just make sure you have everything. Yep. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? 233 North Maple, please. It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Also, find fun activities to do like boating and biking or camping and hiking. Plus, much more. It's all right in your naturehood. Best day ever. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. All right, we're back with Vishnu Swami, our wonderful guest, who is known as the Maverick Monk. Before we left off, our question here was, is mantra chanting and sound healing the next frontier in science, playing a significant role in healing, removing the need for allopathic treatment? So if you look, thousands of years people have been getting sick and getting healed. So how do you say health is not a new subject? But allopathic medicine is relatively new. It's relatively new. They invent different medicines all the time. They get approval. They they use lobby money to get approval for certain things. And you read the side effects of some of the that allopathic medicine. It's crazy. It's like taking the medicines worse than the disease itself sometimes. You know, um, one thing that I like is the Chinese medicine 
they used to pay the doctor to keep them healthy. And if they like, and if they got sick, then they would fire the doctor. The doctor wouldn't get paid. And even the kings, like this is kind of brutal, but the kings, they would pay their doctor to keep them healthy. And if the king got sick, the, the doctor would be executed. So the guy's life depended on the, the king being healthy. Now, how did he keep the king healthy? How did he know? He was able to tune into the energy of the body. He was able to understand the, the meridians and understand the energy movement of the body, know exactly what's going on. And with acupuncture needles, with specific herbal tinctures, was able to manipulate the energy in the body to keep the king healthy. So these sciences are not new. They've been there for thousands of years. I think it's just there's less of a business in it. So you've got millions of, 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 of dollars being spent in lobby money to push allopathic medicine, which creates a lifelong dependency on it. So, yes, I think that I personally try to avoid allopathic medicine as much as possible, and I'm healthier than most people. And so, yeah, I think so. I think okay. that... Now, I heard... Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, what were you going to... Now, uh, I was going to say I heard of chanting vowels. Like, how is chanting vowels beneficial for health? Any recent scientific research on the thing? That's not my field of expertise. I don't know. But I okay. do know that sound, that sound vibration does affect the physical body. They can use it in ultrasound to be able to find stones inside the body. And I know that each energy, how do you say, in yoga, for example, that's what I am an expert in. In yoga, yoga is very much, people think it's just a physical exercise thing, so now you have it in the gym. But it's, the whole point of yoga is to work with energy channels inside the body, meridians. There's 72,000 of them inside the body, and you're having the energy flow through them, and that's what each position is targeted for. And, there are, and each of those energy channels have a sound vibration. And a great master will be able to tune into the right sound vibration for a specific energy channel that has a blockage and give you the benefits of yoga through tapping into the power of sound. Now, I say that's, that's not something that I practice very much, but I've seen it work. I've had some people do it to me, and I'm like, wow, that's freaking amazing. And you can feel the benefit. So... As humanity progresses and as we go deeper, I think there's going to be a certain class of people that are just going to go more deeper into chemicals, chemicals, chemicals. And then there's going to be other people who tune into these other more subtle, hard-to-perceive sciences and arts and get immense benefit from it. And we see it happening already. Right. Now, now throughout your book, we talk about path to enlightenment. Can my job or business, because I'm in network marketing myself, really help me on the path to enlightenment? Well, what I say is why would you do it if it could not? Why would you do something that is not leading to a, the highest expression of your deepest self? Why would you do something that is not leading to the most beautiful type of enlightenment and love and peace? Because if you see enlightenment as, as a liberation from suffering and a connection in love, then anything that is not leading to that is going against love and going against, um, against your core dharma, your purpose. So, yes, your, your, your business, your job can be a process of enlightenment when done with the right consciousness, when done with the right awareness, with the right knowledge and the right intention and the right state of mind and state of heart, then it becomes a meditative process. It becomes a spiritual process. Mm-hmm. And, and you do it better, and, and you make more money, and it's sweeter. 
Right. I, I can definitely understand that. And people think sometimes happiness always leads, money makes you happy, but not so true. You got to, oh, you got to, it's that feeling, the, the blessing feeling that makes you feel good because money can come and it can go easily. Um, but I guess that would bring me to my next question. What do I do or anyone else do when they're feeling sad or having a bad day? Well, I already actually answered that question for a quick answer is um, okay. to do the Gopal meditation. You can go Gopal, Gopal, right. Gopal. That kind of recenters, rebalances, re reempowers you. But also, um, I just wrote an article that it was produced, it was published in New Spirit Journal, which is keeping your cool in chaos. How do you, like when, when the political arena gets totally messed up, like we saw in our country, oh my gosh, all kinds of things happening, or when, or when you lose your job, or when you're having a bad day, or when you're stuck in a traffic jam, or when your parent gets, when someone gets sick in your family, or when you're sick, like you're sick right now, or, like, or, or when, when any of these bad things happen, how do you keep your balance? How do you keep your harmony? And, and the real essence is to have your consciousness absorbed in the right place. As soon as you're thinking about things that you can't control, that you don't have power uh, over, and things that are not an expression of your core spiritual self, that are not your dharma, are not who you are, then you'll naturally feel fear, you'll naturally feel worry, you'll naturally feel suffering, you'll naturally feel pain. But if we absorb our consciousness in the divine, the mantras first pacify the body, but then it's a meditation on, on, on spirit. And when you absorb yourself with love, when you're thinking of God, when you're thinking of the divine, then suffering has no place. Difficulty has no place. So you need to ground yourself, think of God, do some meditation, and everything goes perfect. Even if it apparently sucks at the moment, it gets better. Why? Exactly, and I thank everyone. I hope everyone is listening. If you listen to the replay, that's a good suggestion for you because everyone has a bad day, and it's not always advisable to take it out on the next person, but those are some good steps for you to actually take. Now, I, I hear the groundbreaking unique thing in your book is the elemental spectrum. What is that? Tell us more. So the ele- the elemental spectrum basically says that everything in reality as we know it is made up of only eight things. Physical things like earth, water, fire, air. Air is energy also. Then ether, which is sound vibration, and space, which is what we've been speaking about. Then mind, which is your emotions, your feeling. Intelligence, which is your intellect, your ideas. Ego, which is your identity, your beliefs, your paradigm, your concept of yourself. Like before, you're saying, I'm a mother, I'm a nurse, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a whatever, I'm a taxi driver. And so uh, the, these, these things exist in the realm of identity. Then beyond that is desire. And that's who we are. We're made of desire. We always want all kinds of things. And that's just who we are. That's, that's, our, that's our core. That's who we are. We're made of desire. So everything is made up. It's just a different mixture of all of these things. Like if you take your hands and you rub them together right now, you'll find fire in them. It, there's heat. Warmth comes from the friction. And it exists inside your hands. And then if you clap them together, then sound comes out. Ether exists inside of them. If you cut them, blood comes out. Water water comes out. If you touch them, you feel earthy, physical things, right? So all of these, the, the, these, everything is just made up in different proportions and a different mixture of these elements. So if you understand the Dharma, 
the core nature, the core purpose of each one of these elements and how they interact with each other, then you can control anything. Then you can have real control of your body, real control of your mind, real control of your business, of your relationships, of your job, of, of, of everything always has just these elements in it. So in the, the, the unique part of my book is this elemental spectrum, which shows you how much uh, – gives you the dharma, basically, the nature, the purpose of each of these elements and how to use them to better your life. Hmm. Well, I tell you, you really throwing out some good tips here. Because, you know, you're making me really start thinking and analyzing my whole life perspective. Like, I mean, it's like I need to take out a notepad and start getting it really together. Um, you know, we deal with the Internet a lot, and it's becoming a crisis to me. But some Internet when I was growing up was okay, but now you, you're getting too much going through. It's, it's getting out of hand. Uh, especially with Facebook. I don't know what Facebook is becoming now. It's like, whoa, Facebook, are you, to be honest, is Facebook becoming a porn site to me? Internet, good or bad for spiritual life? What do you think? Nothing is good and nothing is bad in reality. Everything has its place. The question is, how do you use it? Is a hammer good or bad? Well, it's good if you use it to hammer a nail and build a nice house. It's bad if you use it to crack someone's skull open. Right, but it might be good to if you use it to crack someone's skull open if that person is abusing your child. You know, it's there's it's it's all about perspective and relationship. So the internet is for sure a powerful, powerful tool, and it can be used for all kinds of messed up things. It can be used to plot terrorist attacks. It can be used for 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 all kinds of things, but it can also be used for productive productivity. I myself used to travel around the world teaching in all kinds of places, and I stopped that. I, I based down in Hawaii, and I'm like, I'm just teaching over the Internet. So if you go to maverickmonk.com, I'm, uh, and you, you can get my book through there, then I do videos on YouTube. I'm releasing a whole bunch of new stuff that's coming, coming out very soon, and I'm doing online courses, and I'm like, this Internet is amazing because through the Internet, now we can help so many people find their dharma. We can help so many people live their true purpose and be happy and be empowered and effectiveness. And some people's whole businesses are dependent on the Internet. So I think the Internet does more good than bad. But, yeah, it's a tool, and people use it for all kinds of stuff. They do. And I hope they're using it for the greater good. But we know some take it out of proportion. They use it for the bad. That's why I don't get caught up in that. People see me post my motivational quotes, and that's about it. I I get out the mess. I don't <laughs> like to get into any fire that I can't, that I can't let out. Um, I know Facebook you know, generally guess, always leads to some kind of controversial arguments, right? It, it does. It does. And you'd be like, wait a minute. I didn't come on here just for that. Now, we've been talking about yeah. spirituality and religion. How do I know if I'm growing spiritually? Because it's like you said, it is it's a difference between spirituality and religion. You get some people on religion, okay. If I'm not religion, how can I grow spiritually? Because that's something I I, I think I want to start doing more. I definitely know I need to get back more to my Bible, but I want to know how. What are some steps I could do, Vishnu? What are the steps to grow spiritually? Like we said, spiritual growth is a personalized journey. But just remember the yeah. elements. You can use everything in a spiritual process. So if you use sound vibration in a spiritual process through mantra meditation, the Gopal meditation, 
like I explained, you can use your mind to help you grow spiritually by having conversations like this, by learning, um, by, by listening to a podcast like this, or uh, is this a podcast or a radio show? And then, or by, by watching videos on maverickmonk.com or, or, or different places, uh, you can use your intelligence to grow spiritually. Then you can also use your body to grow spiritually through your work. So if you say, okay, I'm doing a radio show, but I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it selflessly. I'm doing it as an offering to the divine. Then that becomes a spiritual process. Like even before working out, you say, okay, I dedicate this exercise. I'm doing this because I'm a servant of God. I belong to God. I, and I'm going to take care of God's body, which is this body, for him, for, for that service, for that relationship. Then it changes that exercise program. And also your work. You can offer the fruits of your labor, the fruits of your work to the divine. There's so many different ways to, um, how do you say, grow spiritually. But what the number one way is to, and everything is a servant of being able to serve this number one way, is to absorb your consciousness in the divine. The more that you're thinking of God, the more that you're thinking of, 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 of enlightenment and, and the spiritual path, the more that your consciousness is absorbed, then, the, then you're just naturally evolving and growing. And there's many ways to do that. Okay. Many beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you have spoken on yoga, and that's your expertise, but what does yoga exercises have to do with enlightenment? How are those mm-hmm. two tied in? So yoga, uh, people understand it as physical exercise. And like we already explained, it's not just a physical exercise. It's moving subtle energies in the body. But really the purpose of yoga is if you have your physical body taken care of, then you can sit down and your mind doesn't get so disturbed. If you've got pain in your back, if you've got pain in your legs, if your neck hurts, it's hard for your mind to be peaceful mm-hmm. because you're being disturbed by, by your body's pulling you in the wrong way. So you have your body, it becomes in balance, it becomes in mm-hmm. harmony, and then your mind can come in balance and harmony. And then once your mind is focused, like after yoga session, you just feel tranquil. If you did a good one, I'm sure there's plenty of bad yoga sessions. But then your mind feels tranquil. Then from that state, you can offer your mind to the divine. You can meditate and connect in spiritual love with the divine without your mind being distracted and disturbed from the other things. So that's really the yogic process. The process of yoga is just to offer your mind to the God. Yoga means to connect, not connecting with the divine. But you take care of your body, you take care of your mind, you take care of your breathing to be able to empower you to do that. And if you don't do that, if you don't, a lot of people just do the yoga for the health side, and that's the side effect. Right. That's not even the main mm-hmm. purpose. It's like eating a banana and throwing away the banana inside and only eating the skin. It's like the skin is just there to hold the banana inside, right? It's mm-hmm. like the wrapper. You know, you're missing the point if you don't have the spiritual side of yoga. And of course, we get okay. into detail in that in eternal dharma, but yeah. Right, which I am glad that you do. Because I always thought of yoga as, but as yoga has been exercise, and now that you bring it out, it's like wow, it's more to yoga than the eye really sees. That's just that's just only the the base of it, but there's so much more on top of this cake. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. how do things like, um, if I'm saying it correctly, Ricky, Ricky, and acupuncture really work? I hope I said that right, Ricky. Ricky acupuncture. Yeah, they the the people who are into that know that what it is. People don't know what it is. You don't really need to know what it is. But uh, there are energetic sciences. Like you were talking about health systems, 
of um, how do you say like sound healing and different things Reiki and acupuncture they basically work on the energetic body what's described in the ancient Vedic wisdom is that we're like a little bird and then we're covered in, in a cage but we have two cages one cage is the physical body and one cage is the subtle body part of the physical body is what I call the energetic body and that's the that's you, have you ever seen those those videos of those monks that can like break iron bars on their head or the the people that do qigong right. in my book I give an ex, an exercise on how to you just do a meditation your arm becomes unbendable the unbendable arm technique it's just like your arm doesn't bend or your some people they do all kinds of amazing I saw one one video I I I, it's still hard to believe. This guy put the, the chi, the energy in his stomach, and they had a power drill and trying to drill him, and they couldn't drill him because of the control of the energy inside the body. Mm-hmm. So basically the idea is that we have an energetic body, and that energetic body can be either in balance or out of balance, and yoga is meant to balance those the energetic body. And things like Reiki and acupuncture and different kind of subtle healing arts are, are just – how do you say, making where there's blockages in the subtle body, it opens up so that there's natural mm-hmm. flow in the subtle body and clears the energetic body so that your physical body naturally falls into alignment because the subtle creates the physical. That's a simple answer. You can get okay. into more detail. But yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> now, the people... We're not we're not trying to take it that far, but this is a great question. Um, you say enlightenment is better than orgasm, um, because it's mentioned out through your book. How so? How so? You see, people think that enlightenment needs to be something that's bland, something that's boring, something you're just going to sit there like this world is so complicated, this this world has so much uh, chaos. So I'm just going to meditate and attain kind of like this peaceful serenity, mm-hmm. this harmony, this balance, and just zone out and be nothing and do nothing. Mm-hmm. And that has its place. That's the beginning. That's the preliminary understanding of enlightenment. First, you've got to get rid of all the muck and the disturbance of this world so you can just be in a peaceful, centered place. But the question is, once you're in a peaceful and centered place, what do you do? And in that, I talk about passion enlightenment. Then you're cultivating a loving relationship mm-hmm. with the divine. And when you're cultivating a relationship with the divine, that mm-hmm. that that's inspiring. That's happiness. That brings joy and sweetness mm-hmm. and beauty into the meditation. And the happiness of that joy, the happiness of that 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 beauty, that relationship, that sweetness, which comes through connecting in passionate love with the divine, is so fulfilling it's so joyous it's so exciting that an orgasm just seems it seems trivial it seems totally not nothing compared to the happiness of of truly living your dharma and being connected in love with the divine so yes it's way better it's one of the first things you open up the book they have these little text boxes with parts they highlighted the editors did that and they said spirituality better than an orgasm and everyone's looking at the book and that's why everyone's buying it you know Mm. So now that yeah. is really that that is really deep. Now when we get into that, that's really deep, boy. I'm telling you, he's gonna have ladies out mm-hmm. here getting that book immediately now. <laughs> now, yeah. I think I think you already did. You already went mm-hmm. over the three stages of spiritual evolution. I'm great. I always try to keep up with everything. But if you don't mind just repeating those three stages of spiritual evolution again. Okay, so the the first stage, the first stage of spiritual evolution is 
almost like I just described. It's like the world is bad, the world is messed up, so I'm just going to meditate and I'm just going to zone out and Mm -hmm. end the pain and end the suffering and attain nirvana and just be enlightened and not be disturbed by the good and bad things that happen in this world. I'm going to stay balanced, I'm going to stay neutral and unaffected. And that's good. That stops a lot of pain and that kind of brings you to a centered, balanced, peaceful place. But then beyond that, the next stage is the understanding of Paramatma. And that, you don't have to remember the Sanskrit, but basically what that means is that the divine lives everywhere, is inside of everything, is outside of everything. Everything is a manifestation and a creation of the divine. And that supreme being lives in every atom. And that supreme being also has a desire and has a will and has a purpose. They also have a dharma and a purpose and a reason for for existing and for creating. So what you do is you're connecting now with intuition, but it's a spiritual intuition mm-hmm. and you're tuning, what am I supposed to be doing in this moment? The first stage you would say connects you to being present in the, in the moment. And that's very big and that's very popular now, being present in the moment. The second stage is, okay, what am I doing in this moment? What does the divine want me to be doing with this moment? And that's following in flow. That's following in in the direction, in the intuition of the divine guiding you from within. Mm -hmm. And when you can tune into that, there's always the pulsating Mm -hmm. desire of the divine. It's always existing everywhere. And when you tune into that, you know exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what you should be saying. And and your actions become more effective and you're guided to, to, to live perfectly and beautifully. So that's the second stage is cultivating that. Not easy. The first stage is not easy. The second stage is not easy, but it's attainable. It's totally doable. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes have experienced like little tastes of it in life. I bet you know, you've experienced, different people experience that. And the third stage is what I talk about, passionate enlightenment. That's, and so the second stage says, okay, there's, there's, this, there's this intuition, there's this will. God is telling me to do this. I'm being inspired mm-hmm. and driven to, to do specific things. And there's this intuition that's guiding us. And then the third stage says, who is this person that's, that's, that's giving this intuition? What is his name? What does he do? Where does he live? What does he like to eat? How does he look? And you can actually create a personal relationship. And this is not religious in one specific stage. All religion says this. In, in um, the Bible, it says God created man after his own image. In the Quran, it says, mm-hmm. in Allah which means the same thing. In the Vedic scriptures, it says that the supreme being is, is a person, is a being that has desires and wants and feelings. And you can have a relationship with that divine, and that divine being. And that relationship is not just limited to, I'm not worthy, you're so great. I'm not worthy, you're so great. The, the relationship can go to a much deeper, just like you can have a relationship with your children. Just like you can have a relationship with your with your your husband or your wife or your family, mm-hmm. your mother, your father, you can have such a type of relationship with the divine, or even a sweeter, more personal, deeper relationship with the divine. So cultivating that relationship and in in passionate love, that is the that is the third stage of spiritual evolution and the most beautiful. And so those are the three stages: negation of suffering, intuition, and passionate love. Well, Vishnu, I really do appreciate you for being on here, giving us all this enlightenment 
and I'm hoping that it's opening up people's eyes. As I said before, please get this book. Make sure it's on your shelf. Vishnu gave you all the places that you could get it from, Maverick Mall, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. This has really been truly a, a thing for us and for me. Um, it has to really open my eyes. Planning on having any more books out. Any more books? I've got a couple books up my sleeve. I was thinking of doing one on finances, one on meditation, one on relationships. But for the uh, next year or two, probably not. We've got this book. It's enough for people to digest. And I am making a meditation course, Maverick Meditation. A lot of people ask me how to meditate. I realize there's a lot of wrong information about meditation out there. So I am doing a Maverick Meditation course. And if you sign up um, on my website, then I'll let you know when that course comes out. I'm actually give a free uh, on my website, maverickmonk.com. If you go there, and you, or you can go to eternaldharma.com, you order the book, and then you send me a message, then I will give you a free meditation class online, and then you can buy the more sophisticated one later if you want or not. Well, thank you once again. I really do. I, I appreciate that. And before I leave my listeners and my guests, the truth of the day from my friend Mary Ellen is this. Perseverance is a virtue that enables you to achieve your ambitions and goals. Even when odds are against you, become determined to see that your dreams are worthwhile. This is perseverance. Make sure you deal with your difficulties, delays, and setbacks with hope in your heart that a better plan would, will unfold. Challenges are an inevitable part of your goal realization process. Today, proceed along your chosen path, realizing that you are blessed to persevere. Enjoy the day, and remember, either your mind has to expand to match your goals or your goals with strength to match your mind. I'll see you next time on the Bright Side with Technisha. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technisha. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 